10 years ago, Ina York was uh, teaching in Rhode Island and had a very good life, and she's a reading expert and, and really was a, a, a state expert in the state of North Carolina, and she took a mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and she felt God laid on her heart that he wanted her to minister to a village that was well on the outskirts and deep in the woods outside of Santo Domingo. Uh, and, and the DR, they, you know, they have a particular demographic crisis. They have immigrants who sneak over the border from Haiti. And one of the ways that the DR has controlled that over the years is those immigrants, if they don't have paperwork, and you don't unless you have a DR birth certificate, if they don't have paperwork, then they just don't have access to all services. Services including things like uh, hospitals and, and schools even. And uh, Ina visited this village. Uh, it was a village full of people at the time, she said, that didn't exist. And it was also a village that was just seeped in, you know, old animistic religion and uh, personal hygiene was, was awful. Health was awful. Birth to death. And most of the children did not have access to schooling, and Ina felt like, you know, a, a United States reading specialist that God had called her to that village to bring the gospel and, and to build there a world-class school. And what a remarkable thing, that, that God would, would take someone with that kind of expertise and, and send uh, that person to a people that didn't exist. And so Ina left her life and everything and uh, moved to the Dominican Republic with that vision on her heart. And over time, she has seen too many stories to tell this morning. Some of you have been a part of Gateway. You know some of these stories. We have supported her all of these years. And uh, she has brought tremendous help in personal hygiene. Uh, she has brought the gospel. There are quite a few women that have come to Christ and some children. And she's also begun to teach uh, young boys and girls, and even some of their parents, how to read. But it's always been a vision that Ina would build a school. It's been almost impossible to, to do that because she can't find land. It's really difficult for someone who's not from the Dominican Republic to buy land. And even if you're from the Dominican Republic, it's difficult to buy it reliably. At the same time, Ina has been, of course, living in the Dominican Republic in conditions that are less than optimal. And in the home that she's living with right now, it leaks so badly that she's got all of her stuff and her living quarters are about one quarter of the, in about one quarter of the house. And the house probably has mold. So uh, it just so happens at exactly the same time, Ina has found uh, the what seems to us to be the exact right opportunity to buy both a permanent mission base for herself, a home for herself, and also, remarkably, a couple of acres on which she can build a school. She's been saving money over the years as money has come into her, and she's got quite a bit of money set aside, but she can't do both things at the same time, and the opportunity has arisen for her to do both, and the opportunity is right now. And so in order to meet that need, Ina needs $100,000. She had an individual donor who said, I'll rise to the occasion. I will match $50,000 if there's anybody who can give out of your entire network, Ina. And she has a network of supporters. Most of them are individuals who just give out of the 
generosity of their hearts. But if, if, uh, you, can, if you can meet it, I will match $50,000. And uh, the missions team at Gateway and the elders are unanimously recommending that Gateway step into that need and raise $35,000. And we need to do it this month. And how, how remarkable that we are in the middle of a series of conversations about living a generous life and this opportunity gets presented to us. So I'm introducing that to you all this morning. There will be a button on our website, Missions, and if you feel led and if you feel moved, I want you to go to that this week or sometime this month through the month of November we need to raise $35,000 in order for Ina to cross the finish line and be able to buy this mission base for herself and the property for a world-class school in the middle of a village of people that don't exist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity to us. It is literally immeasurable You have given us Christ. You have enabled us to be in connection with you, in right relationship with you, to really know you. You have enabled us to find ourselves and our purpose. You've brought us into real and healthy relationship with one another, and you've provided for our needs daily, our bread and our provision. And this morning, we're mindful of that, and we're deeply thankful. And we pray for, in particular, uh, Ina, and for this opportunity that you're giving her. And we ask that you would release Gateway to step into this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're uh, three weeks into a series of conversations we're calling The Generous Life, and this morning we're going to talk about the surprising thing about real giving, the surprising thing about real giving. And I'm going to read this morning from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. Mark 12, 38 through 44. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to look because we're going to look at the context of this passage in a minute. But if you don't, you can look on your phone or it will be on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word, if you would. Mark 12, 38 through 44. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out, underline that, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, look, I tell you the truth, this poor widow, she's put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You may be seated. 
Not all giving is created equal. Some giving is real giving, and other giving is fake. It's mimicry. In other words, it mimics real giving. It's not the genuine article. And Jesus is interested in real giving. The power that comes from giving is released through real giving. The benefit of giving, at least over the long run, both for the giver and the receiver, is released through real giving. We were created to be real givers. And here's the surprise. The thing that differentiates real giving from mimic giving is not sacrifice. The thing that that differentiates real giving from mimic giving is not sacrifice. Now, sacrificial giving is certainly God-honoring, but only when it's real giving. The thing that differentiates real giving from mimicry is not sacrifice. Ultimately, you know, all giving is sacrificial. If you needed $100 to fly to Orlando, you came and asked us. You know, if, if the Reed family, if they give you $100, that's, that's sacrificial for them, even though the reeds are loaded. That'd be, that's, that's not quite as sacrificial as it would be for me to give $100, but it's still, that's $100 that the reeds can't spend on themselves. For them, that's just a trip to McDonald's. But for me, you know, that's, that's a, a, a two weeks worth of trips to McDonald's. But it's sacrificial either way. It's more or less sacrificial. The thing that differentiates real giving from mimic giving isn't sacrifice. It's the reference point for the gift. If my giving has me as the reference point, then it's mimicry. If my giving has the recipient as the reference point, then it's real giving. Real giving is always about the other person. It's other-focused. Real giving is always about what the other person needs, not what I want to give or how much it costs me. This is Part of the main point that Jesus was making when he called the disciples over to notice the widow giving to the temple treasury. What he says in effect is, you were impressed with how much those wealthy people were giving, but look at that widow over there. She gave more than anybody did because she gave everything. And here's the thing, they gave to put on a show. She gave because she felt compelled to give. She she had to know that no one would be impressed with two copper coins. In Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, and we talked about that a number of times over the last couple of weeks, uh, you may remember Grant identifies three reciprocity styles, three, three different ways of interacting with other people, three different ways of kind of doing relationships. And he says that those three styles are uh, taker, matcher, and giver. Thomas, give me those definitions. Taker, they like to get more than they give. They tilt reciprocity in their own favor. Matchers, matchers operate on the principle of fairness. They, they, their relationships are governed by even exchanges of favors, and most of us are matchers. And then there are givers. Givers are others-focused. They tend to provide support with no strings attached. Dr. Grant wrote in his, bo- his book, in part, to convince us, his readers, that ultimately givers are the ones that gain. In the end, givers succeed. You know, the old adage, uh, nice guys finish last, that's not true. Givers ultimately gain, and the conclusion for us should be obvious. Let's build families of givers. Let's build companies of givers. Let's be a church of givers. At one point in his book, Dr. Grant offers a negative illustration He tells a compelling true story about a mimic, 
about a, a classic taker who paraded as a giver. Someone who wore long flowing robes and blue horns in the marketplace to announce the size of his gift. But in the end, he was a mimic. He was a taker. And ultimately, he was exposed. So I want you, I want you to listen to this. Several decades ago, a man who started his life in poverty lived the American dream. He came from humble beginnings, growing up in Missouri farm towns without indoor plumbing. To help support his family, the young man worked long hours on farms and paper routes. He put himself through college at the University of Missouri, graduated Phi Beta Kappa, completed a master's degree, and then a doctorate in economics. He pursued a life of public service, enlisting in the Navy, and then serving in several important roles in the U.S. government, earning the Navy Commendation Medal and National Defense Service Medal. <clears throat> From there, he built his own company where he was chairman and CEO for 15 years. By the time he stepped down, his company was worth $110 billion with more than 20,000 employees in 40 countries around the world. For five consecutive years, Fortune magazine named his company, quote, America's most innovative company. And, and one of the 25 be best places to work in the country, when asked about his success, he acknowledged the importance of, quote, respect, the golden rule, and absolute integrity. He set up a charitable family foundation giving over $2.5 million to more than 250 organizations and donated 1% of his company's annual profits to charity. His giving attracted the attention of former President George W. Bush, with whom he built a, a close relationship, who commended him as a, quote, good guy, end quote, and, quote, a generous person, end quote. Then he was indicted. His name was Kenneth Lay. And he is best remembered as the primary villain in the Enron scandal. Dr. Grant went on to convincingly describe Ken Lay as a taker in giver's clothing, end quote. That is, a taker who is mimicking a giver because the appearance of being a giver put him in good standing with people who could help him. The way he managed relationships, the way he treated people he considered above him versus the way he treated people he considered below him, uh, the way he used Enron finances for, and, and resources for his own personal advantage, even the way he talked about himself and his company, all pointed to a mimic. Listen to this. In, in one study, researchers found that takers used the pronouns I, me, and mine far more often than most people do. Matchers and givers tend to use we, us, and our much more often. In fact, in one study, it was found that the average CEO in, a, in the computer industry used first-person pronouns 21% of the time, while taker CEOs use I, me, and mine 39% of the time. Now, that that difference, although substantial, may not sound that significant you, to you. You might not be blown away, but think about someone referencing themselves that, that much over time. That, that's a lot of me. It's kind of like enough about me. What do you think of me? Real giving is other-focused. It's not about me. It's not about me looking good. It's not about me feeling good about myself, about how generous I am. It's not even about my sacrifice. Real giving is not about me. It's about what you need and, and what I can do to help you meet your need. Let's look at the context of the incident from Mark chapter 12. And if you look at back, go back to Mark chapter 11 and, and kind of read through that. And I would encourage you to do so. This is the last week of Jesus' life and he knew it. 
Now, we don't know exactly how he knew it. We don't know if this was because Jesus was extremely bright and, and just wise and he could see the signs or if there was a deeper spiritual sense because of his profound connection with the Father, he just knew what was coming or both. But Jesus knew that this was the last week of his life. So he went into the city, he's in Jerusalem, knowing that the end is near, and he walks in and he clears the temple. And those of you who know the story know that this was deeply upsetting and, and pretty incredible and profound and disturbing. And then he refused to answer questions about the source of his authority to do what he was doing. Then he offered up an illustration about how this... Uh, owner had a vineyard and there were tenants who were working the vineyard and the owner sent his servants to the, t to the vineyard to collect what was due him at harvest time and the tenants killed the servant. And then he sent another servant. The tenants killed that servant. And this happened repeatedly until ultimately the owner said, I'll send my own son. Surely they'll respect my son. And then the son came to the vineyard and the tenants killed the vineyard. And the religious leaders knew that they were the tenants and that the servants were the prophets and Jesus was the son. They were extremely upset. And then, verses 38 through 40. And as he was teaching, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. Remember, that's how this passage began. This is a warning. This is a warning against showy religion. A warning about giving with the right heart. The widow was all in in the cause of the temple. It was, not, it, it, it was not in any sense about her. These other people, these religious leaders and, and wealthy sycophants, they were interested in promoting themselves. Sure, they were giving large gifts, but that simply didn't matter at all to Jesus. Jesus is interested in real giving, large or small. And not only were they not giving, it says they were devouring the homes of widows. Now, scholars are divided on exactly what that even means. They don't know if it's just that they weren't taking care of the widows the way that they were supposed to, or if they were, as those of us who are familiar with Jesse Rudy's ministry in Africa, that, you know, when, when a husband dies, family, mem family members will often, often, usually, go in and steal the property, all of the property of the widows, and, and leave them landless and, and virtually uh, incomeless and helpless. We, we don't know if that's what was going on, but we do know that these religious leaders should have known better. Deuteronomy 26 kind of lays out some instructions for what should happen with the temple money that was given, with the temple treasury money. And verse 12 says, part of the purpose of that money was to take care of the fatherless and widows and strangers. I love what one commenter said about this. The widow wasn't supposed to be giving to the temple treasury. The temple treasury was there in part to give to the widow. This woman is a testimony to, to us, of course, of the power of sacrificial giving. Yes. And if, you're, if you've been in church for a long time, you've no doubt heard her story with that as the point. People have even used her, ironically, as a, a, a way to launch capital campaigns to raise large amounts of money and they've said to their people, you should give sacrificially. And the point is not to give sacrificially. This woman is a testimony to the profound power of sacrificial giving, but I believe the more important point of the message is to the disciples and to us is, look, Jesus never says, so go give like this widow gave. 
No, I think Jesus was primarily saying to them and to us, don't be fooled by the size of the gifts that are given. That's just not what's important. And don't be fooled by the appearance of givers here. Some of them are mimics. They're not even givers at all. And finally, why in the world is this woman being forced to live on two copper coins in the first place? Why isn't she being taken care of? If my people were acting like the givers I created them to be, this woman would have all she needs. Real giving is other-focused. Real giving is me offering whatever I have, all that I have, to meet a need. What does my coworker need? Not, how can I help them be more productive? What do they need? What do my children really need? Not, how can I make them successful so I can be proud? What do they need? What does my husband need? Not, what's a great gift I can give? What does he need? What does my neighbor need? Jesus is interested in real giving, and real giving is other-focused. Several weeks ago, Leo Carney came to me. Some of you know Leo, and uh, told me, you know, Ed, we had breakfast together. He said, Ed, I've been the beneficiary of a phenomenal discipleship program. It's pretty intense. There's a heavy amount of support, heavy amount of encouragement, heavy amount of accountability, and there's, there's homework, and we work through stuff together. And, uh, you know, it was so life-changing for me. I think there might be a group of men at Gateway that could benefit from this. And I'd like to offer this. So I said, oh, I mean, okay, Leo, I mean, show me the material. And I looked at the material, and holy smokes, it's awesome. It's, it's like uh, a mini-seminary course, along with the kind of support and accountability and encouragement that I didn't get when I was in seminary. And it's just good stuff. It, it, it sort of, I mean, it fills in a lot of blanks about the Bible, about theology. It's incredible, but it is intense. It's an intense commitment. And for one thing, it's meeting every week and it's doing homework. And it's, it's a group of people sitting around a table and you didn't do your work this week? Get busy. You know, it's, it's giddy up. And I thought, wow. So the next time Leo and I got together, I said, Leo, I mean, this is great, but this, these, are, these are really busy, superficial, excuse me, and I'm including myself in that, uh, busy, superficial Northern Virginians. There's just not going to be a lot of people sign up for this. This is a lot of, this is a serious commitment. I know. But you can't do it. You're not going to grow unless you commit to that degree. All right, Leo, let's try it. So we said yes to Leo. We showed it to Michelle. Michelle was like, yeah, let's, let's try this. And then it occurred to me this week, it's an intense commitment for Leo. <laughs> He's going to meet every week. He's going to be praying for these people. He's going to be holding them accountable. And nobody is going to applaud for him. We're not paying Leo anything for this. He just wants to give it. Because giving is other-focused. I called Leo yesterday to ask him if I could uh, tell this story. And he said, well, I got two comments. I said, okay. He said, first of all, sure. I mean, it may advertise that this is out there in case God is speaking to someone they want to do this. Secondly, wow, I never thought about what a sacrifice it was going to be for me. I made to rethink this. And then he laughed. Of course he's not going to rethink it because he's a giver. He's thinking about others. He's not thinking about himself. More than 10 years ago, Lyle Wilson, some of you know Lyle. Lyle got connected to an organization called Best Kids. 
And it's a mentoring organization. And Lyle got hooked up with a young man, let's call him Michael. And uh, Michael is a mess. But Lyle walked with Michael almost 15 years, meeting with him regularly, giving him hundreds of dollars. No, hundreds of dollars many, many times. In fact, uh, Lyle is still connected to Michael's uncle and regularly gives him large amounts of money so his uncle can go help people who have no resources like buying winter coats. And, and over time, Lyle tirelessly trying to, hundreds of hours with Michael, hundreds of hours trying to find Michael when he was in between homes and no one could locate him. Could locate him. He was Best Kid's longest running mentor for several years in a row because it's just so difficult with these kids. They get moved from home to home to home and you can't even keep up with them. And yet, Lyle doggedly pursued his relationship with Michael because Lyle was a giver. It wasn't about Lyle. It was about Michael. Real giving is other-focused. It can't be about me. It can't even be about not being about me because that's me-focused. That's why the care, the core of, of real giving isn't sacrifice. It's meeting the needs of others. It's not the size of the gift that's matter, that matters. It's not even the sacrifice in the gift that matters. It's the size and direction of the heart involved that matters. Real giving, listen to this, real giving, we're going to talk about this in another week. Real giving is not selfless. Real giving is other-focused. Mother Teresa once said, I must be willing to give whatever it takes to do good to others. And at times, that requires that I be willing to give until it hurts. Whatever it takes to do good to you. Sometimes doing good to you may take very little. And what a happy circumstance that is for me because I get blessed and you get good done to you with little sacrifice and not a lot of effort on my part. And sometimes it takes a great deal to do good to you. And what an even happier circumstance because I suspect your benefit and my blessing will be even larger. The key is not what I have to give. The key is not in the size of the sacrifice on my part. The key is, is in doing good to you, in focusing on you, in thinking about you. Jesus is interested in real giving, and real giving is other-focused. Okay, that's a pretty obvious point, but I wanted to, I wanted to underscore it this morning with gusto because uh, middle-income suburban Americans need to remember this. It's, it's about others. Real giving is not about me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. They're going to wrap us up in a, a closing song here. But as they're coming, I have to confess to you uh, this morning how boneheaded I am. I honestly thought about not sharing this, first of all, because it's not about me, but more importantly, because it's embarrassing. And then I thought, well, I'll share it at the 11 o'clock service. I'm not going to share it at the 9 o'clock service because the 9 o'clock service is taped. And people can watch this forever. And then I thought, nope, I'm going to share this because we just kind of all need to reflect on how boneheaded Ed is. And maybe that will point out to us how sometimes boneheaded we are. But this week, uh, I got a report uh, that was um, A, encouraging, and B, potentially discouraging. And the encouraging part was, you gave so generously last year, 
It's mind-blowing. Thank you, Gateway. We built a budget last year that expected that we would take $500,000 out of our savings to meet our budget because we didn't believe that we, we, we needed to take our foot off the gas. We felt like we needed to continue and press ahead. And instead, we ended up over $100,000 in the black. Because of your generosity, yay God is right, John. Because of, because of your generosity, that's remarkable. And then our, our financial year is October 1 through September 30. So this is the first month of the year, and October was horrendous. I mean, October was a particularly bad month. October was really like July, and August sometimes are. Our, our giving was strikingly off. Here's the thing. Uh, one more comment. Uh, you gave last year even though, um, you know, Jan uh, Rhonda showed me this the other day. January of 2020, uh, we had the second Sunday in January, I think, we had, between our two services here at Gateway, we had 871 people on a Sunday morning. We didn't know that we were a month and a half away from the world falling apart. And now, now we're having around 300 between our two services on Sunday morning. We're trying to, we're trying to limp our way back to uh, what, what God has for us. And yet, in that environment, you gave more last year than you did in 2019. It's incredible. But for some reason, weirdly, during the month of October, we fell off a cliff. And let me tell you what happened to Ed. I got that report this week, and here was my first thought. Is this the right time for us to be stepping in with Ina? Bonehead. Because we are in the middle of a series of conversations about the generous life. And my first instinct was to think about me. And not the need that we can meet. <laughs> so, here, okay, I guess the conclusion to this this morning is, don't be like Ed. <laughs> be, be, <laughs> be like Jesus. Because Jesus is interested in real giving. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Father, break our hearts with the things that break your heart. And make us real givers. Because, Lord, there's power in real giving. Because people are blessed with real giving. Because others are lifted up when we are real givers. And we are ultimately blessed. We gain. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and make us a church of real givers. We have immense resources, experience, expertise, money. Lord, release that and show us where and how. In Jesus' name we pray.